Well, good morning and welcome to Soul City Church. My name is Jeannie Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here, and we're so glad that you're here this morning. A couple weeks ago, uh, Gigi, our seven-year-old, had a day off of school, and so I arranged for her to have a special day with my mom, to have a, a a day with grandma. And so at the end of the day, I went out to pick her up, and we were on the road, and we were driving back into the city. And while we were driving, she said, Mommy, my chest hurts. I said, what do you mean, baby? What do you mean your chest hurts? And she said, well, it feels like drumsticks are hitting my heart. I said, well, what, do you, what do you mean, baby? Explain it to mommy. How does it feel? And she's like, I just did. It's drumsticks on my heart. And I said, like, yeah, you did. You did. And so, you know, I, I went through and asked her. I was like, well, do you feel hot? You know, are you coughing? Are you seeing? All the things that, you know, moms do in that moment, right? And a few minutes later, she said, mommy, it still hurts. So I, of course, you know, called up the pediatrician right away, you know, and it was after hours, so, you know, nobody was there. So I left a message for the on-call doctor. They called me right back. And when they called me back, you know, I explained and I said, you know, it sounds like she says that there's drumsticks on her heart. She's like, well, what does that mean? And I was like, you know, I just went through this with her. Um, (laughs) And uh, and so I explained. I was like, you know, she doesn't have a cough. She's not sneezing. You know, she she doesn't seem sick. Well, in that moment, the on-call doctor pulled up Gigi's file. Okay, and so a year ago, some of you know this, um, Gigi had surgery, and she was in the ICU for a week. And so they pulled up her file, and I I think on the other end, there was like big blaring lights were going off, like send her to the ER, you know, because they don't want to take any risks with with somebody with her case. And so so she said right away, you know, I I just think you should go over to Rush. They have your files. Why don't you just head on over there? And so that's exactly what we did. So we went into Rush, and um, it ended up being that Gigi was totally fine. She's okay. Um, she's more than fine. There's no more drumsticks on her heart. Um, and, and I am fine as well, and I'm very glad there's no more drumsticks on her heart. Um, but while we were there, and while we were waiting in her room, and we played way too many games of tic-tac-toe, and we ate saltine crackers and jello for dinner, uh, while we were waiting there, I experienced that feeling that you've probably experienced if you've ever been in a hospital room or in a doctor's office where somebody says these words, the doctor will be in to see you shortly. Have you heard that phrase before? The doctor will be in to see you shortly. Now, I personally struggle with this phrase, okay? I struggle with this phrase because it's not true. That's my first struggle with the phrase. It's not a true statement. It never happened shortly. There has never been a doctor that has come into my room shortly. Now, doctors, I love you if you are in the room. You do not do things shortly, okay? My second problem with the phrase is that usually when the nurse says that, There's already been like a a full battery of tests, lots of poking and lots of probing. And and when they leave the room saying nothing, what happens to me is I usually have an instantaneous story that starts to build. And and what I begin to feel is, is that something is very, very wrong. Something is very wrong, and it's up to the one in the white coat to tell me about it. That's usually what happens to me. Have you ever been in a room like that? Have you ever been in a moment like that? Show of hands, how many of you know that feeling? You know that feeling, that feeling of waiting and wondering if everything is going to be okay. 
waiting on someone to, to bring you an answer that you know has the potential to change your life forever. Waiting on a phone call, waiting on some results to come in, waiting to see if a relationship is actually gonna make it through the storm. Waiting to see if, if the depression will ever give way and life will feel light again. And over the years, I've been in many rooms, in many moments, with many people, pleading for answers, pleading for hope, pleading for promises. And in moments like that, what usually happens is people begin to plead for healing, don't they? To plead for healing. You see, I've sat with married couples in the aftermath of finding out that one of them has had an affair. I've sat with parents and I've helped them plan the funeral of their child. I've sat with loved ones in the shock that comes from suicide. I've sat with, with couples that have lost a baby to miscarriage. I've sat with people as they've received a medical diagnosis that literally took their breath away. I've seen relationships dissolve. I've seen depression destroy joy. And while every one of those moments and every one of those stories is different, every moment and every story and every one of those rooms that I have ever sat in has been filled with the same desire, that pleading for healing. That pleading for healing, pleading for the great physician to come in and to heal that which is broken. You see, I've had my own moments of pleading for healing. I have pleaded for a relationship to be restored, and it wasn't restored. I have pleaded for, for the healing of loved ones. I have pleaded for healing from the ache and the pain that comes with loss and with grief. I have pleaded for healing, and I'm guessing you have also. If not for yourself, then perhaps for someone that you love. And when life puts us in rooms like that, in moments like that, what ends up happening, whether we've talked to God our whole life or we've never talked to God, what happens in that moment is we start pleading for God to do something, don't we? We, we, we kind of remember, I, th I think God described himself as a healer. I think somewhere it says that he's like a, a great physician. And in those moments, we want a savior that heals, don't we? We want the ultimate doctor in the white coat to come in and to save the day. And I wanna to say to you at the start of this message, I believe with all of my heart, I believe with every fiber of my being that Jesus heals that Jesus can heal. I know him to be a healer. I have experienced him in my life as a healer. I believe it's a part of the very nature of who he is 
to heal that which is broken. I know Jesus can heal. What I don't know is how he will do it. I know Jesus can heal. What I don't know is how he will do it. And this is one of the many mysteries of God. In fact, the Bible even says that God himself says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. And this is so true. I don't always understand the mysterious ways of how Jesus heals, but I do know he heals. I don't always know how he does it, but I do know, I do know that he is a healer. And I want to look at a passage of scripture this morning um, that was recorded actually years before Jesus ever even walked the earth, years before he ever actually healed anyone. In fact, it's a passage that prophesied and proclaimed that there would one day be a healer. There would be a Messiah, a Savior that heals. And so we're going to take a look at this passage together. It's found in the book of Isaiah. So I want to ask you to actually grab the Bible that's in front of you. Uh, it might be on the, underneath the seat in front of you. But if you would grab it and turn to page 517, it's Isaiah 61, and we're going to look at three verses together this morning. I want to give you a little bit of context about Isaiah, okay? Isaiah was a prophet, and prophets in the Old Testament were used by God to essentially be God's voice. They explained the plans and the purposes of God and what God was going to do in the future. And God used prophets as a way so that when the things that were prophesied actually happened, it was a way for people to be confident that it was from, in fact, God. And so the passage that we're going to study in Isaiah is a prophecy. It's a prophecy. They are words that Isaiah recorded, but they are words that Jesus himself would one day say. So so we need to hear this as being recorded by Isaiah, but being fulfilled in the life of Jesus, which is quite miraculous to think about that. Hundreds of years before Jesus ever walked the earth, these words were said about Jesus, and then Jesus himself later said them. So this is what it says in Isaiah 61, verse 1. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim what? To proclaim good news to who? To the poor. Good news. What does good news mean? Good news simply means the gospel. That's what the good news is, the gospel. It is the love, the grace, and the forgiveness that is found in Jesus. So Jesus came to proclaim good news. And who did he come to proclaim it to? To the poor. It it says that he's come to bring good news to the poor. Now, this does not mean the financially poor. When, when this is spoken of, it is actually referred to, the word poor is in reference to all who have need. To all who have need. That, that all who have ever needed a savior, all who fall short in their life, all who struggle, all who need healing. So this is referring to you 
and it's referring to me. That Jesus has come to bring the good news to all of us who are poor. All of us who are in need of his good news. It goes on and it says, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Bind up, it literally means to bandage. To bandage. That Jesus is this great physician and with tenderness and care, what he does is he bandages and he binds up, he brings back together those whose hearts have been broken. It goes on and it says, he's come to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. That Jesus literally, what he will do is he will open up the jail cells of those that have become imprisoned to grief, ensnared to fear, locked up by addiction, caged by sickness. That Jesus proclaims freedom and he literally turns the light on in the darkest of cells that that's what Jesus does. And it's to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And what Jesus is showing here is that when he heals, his healing always offers an exchange. That what was once a pile of ashes in our lives, when Jesus comes and he touches those ashes, that he exchanges those ashes for beauty. That what was once a mountain of mourning in our lives, when Jesus comes, when Jesus touches that mourning, what he does is he exchanges that mourning for joy. That what was once a cloud of despair, when Jesus touches that despair, when he heals, he exchanges that despair for praise. And he goes on and he says, they will be called the oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Can I get an amen? And the, the they in this passage, the they, they will be called oaks of righteousness. Do you know who the they is in this passage? The they is the grieving ones, the broken ones, the afflicted ones, the sick ones, the hurting ones, the ones whose lives have been filled with ashes and mourning and despair. They become oaks of righteousness. That's what Jesus does. And they display the Lord's splendor. And most people, I don't know about you, but most people, myself included, when we are desperate and need of healing, we don't feel anything like some strong oak of righteousness, do we? In the moments when I have been pleading for healing, pleading for God to move, I have never once felt like a strong oak of righteousness displaying the Lord's splendor. In fact, I have felt the exact opposite. I have felt weak. I have felt so vulnerable so confused 
And this passage in Isaiah, it actually reveals that that weakness and that vulnerability is actually the perfect fertile soil for the healing exchange to take place. That in the midst of our weakness, in the midst of our ashes, in the midst of our despair, in the midst of our confusion, that that is when God takes those things and he allows us to become oaks of righteousness. And while beauty, I believe with all of my heart, while beauty can be birthed from ashes, beauty cannot be birthed while holding on to ashes. And while joy can come even in the midst of our mourning, joy cannot come while we are still holding on to our mourning. While praise can come forth from our deepest despair, praise cannot come forth when we are still clinging on to despair. There must be an exchange. There must be a letting go. There must be a surrender. There must be a release. But so many of us, what happens is we, we fear the transformational process of healing, and what we do is we hold on to the ashes. We hold on to the mourning. We hold on to the spare. We fear the letting go. We fear that Jesus may not heal the exact way that we have prayed. We fear the outcomes. We fear being out of control. And instead of pursuing the sharp pains that come with healing, we choose the dull pain of avoidance, and we linger in the ashes and the mourning and the despair. And you see, it takes profound courage to pursue the sharp pains that come with healing rather than the dull pain that lingers with avoidance. But so many of us are living lives where we just try to avoid it, to push it down, to make it go away, and Jesus, the great healer, the great physician, the one in the ultimate white coat, he doesn't hide it from us. In fact, he's really honest. He says that in this world, you are going to struggle. You are going to experience ashes. You are going to experience despair. You are going to experience confusion. He says in John 16, 33, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. You will, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We will have trouble. We will struggle. Many of us here today are in the midst of that struggle. And your struggle, it feels palpable. It feels like your soul, if you were to describe it, you would, you would describe it as literally feeling cracked and bruised and dry. You know about ashes. You know about mourning. And you know about despair. And healing, healing is not the resolution of the struggle. What healing does is healing uses our struggle to draw us into a deeper relationship with the one who heals. That's what healing does. Healing does not resolve our struggles. 
Healing uses our struggle to draw us into deeper relationship with the one who heals. And you know, I confess, I confess that so many of my prayers, so many of my prayers are just for Jesus to remove the struggle. If I'm just being straight up honest with you all, all I want him to do is to get rid of the pain. I I, I just want the healing to take place. Who cares about the process? I just want the healing, right? Oh, thanks God for the exchange. I don't care about the exchange. I just want to feel better. I don't want this ache anymore. I, I, I don't want this this pain in my life. I, I just want it to be resolved. I just want you to take it away. I just want it to be over. And, and to be honest, so often, those are my kinds of prayers. Just the real gut, raw, could you take it away, God? And those kinds of prayers are definitely a part of the healing process. They're often the first kinds of prayers that we pray. And one of the greatest gifts about being in a transforming relationship with Jesus is that it is okay to not be okay. It is okay to not be okay. In fact, I think he prefers it that way. He has this thing for very imperfect people, of which I am very glad because my whole life I have fallen into that category. He is okay He is okay with you and I pleading for healing. He invites it. But he loves us too much to rescue us from all that comes from us depending on him to do that healing. You see, Jesus knows that in the waves of desperation, in the midst of the struggle, is when we become most emptied out and opened up for the kind of intimate relationship that he desires to have with us. In the midst of the struggle, in the midst of it, we become emptied out and opened up, and he knows that that is the most fertile soil to grow an intimate relationship with us. In fact, all throughout the New Testament, you can see Jesus' desire for relationship with those that he healed. And Jesus healed many. He healed physically. He healed emotionally. He healed relationally. And there's this one moment that's recorded in the Gospel of Mark. I'm not going to have you turn there. I just want to tell you about it for a moment. Jesus was actually in very high demand. Everywhere he went, he was being sought out for for people to, to be near him so that he would heal them. And what happened is Jesus was actually on his way to go heal a young girl. And he was walking through a huge crowd. And when he was walking through the crowd, there was a woman in the crowd that actually needed healing herself. She'd been sick for years. She was actually bleeding in in that moment. And and in fact, it's recorded in Mark 5.28 that this woman who was in the crowd, she said, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. If I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. 
It's like she was just desperate. She was like, if I, if I can just get even to the bottom of his robe, if I can just touch it, then I'll be healed. She was desperate, wasn't she? Desperate just to touch Jesus. And the passage says that immediately, immediately as she touched his coat, immediately her bleeding stopped. She felt it in her body, and she was healed. And Jesus stopped in in the middle of the crowd, and he began looking around because he felt it too. He didn't see who touched his coat, but he felt it. He felt the power go out from him. And in that moment, he literally said, who touched me? Who touched, who touched me? And it says in Mark 5.33, it says, then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, she came and she fell at his feet and trembling with fear, she told him the whole truth. She told him the whole truth. I don't know if there's a more beautiful sentence in all of the stories where Jesus heals. She told him the whole truth. You know, I've been reading this book for years. I don't even know how many years I've been reading this book. I've read this story. I've probably taught on this story. Do you know that I've never noticed that phrase before? I've never noticed that phrase, the phrase that she brought her whole truth you know, I don't, I don't know what the moment was like. It's not recorded in the scriptures. I don't know if Jesus was like, okay, time out. We're, we're going to go grab a latte together, and I want to hear your whole story. I want to hear everything that's been going on in your life. I want to sit with you. I want to hear about the struggle. I don't know. We, we don't know exactly what happened. We don't know how long he listened to her story, but we know that she brought her whole truth to him. That's what she brought to the moment. And it says here in Mark 5, 34, that what Jesus brought was he brought the exchange. He brought the exchange. And he said to her in Mark 5, 34, daughter, he called her daughter. Isn't that beautiful? He called her daughter. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Do you see the exchange? Do you see the exchange that takes place here? What she brought was the whole truth. She brought herself. And Jesus took her struggle and he freed her from her suffering. And as I said at the beginning of this message, I know I know that Jesus heals. I know him to be a healer. I know that he wears the ultimate white coat. I know that he is the great physician. But I don't always know how he does it. I know he heals. I don't always know how he does it. 
I don't know. I don't know why God physically heals some and not others. I don't know why some marriages seem to be strong and they stay together their whole lives and then other marriages, they hit the ropes and they crash and they burn and they dissolve and it's so very painful. I don't know why some struggle with anxiety and depression and then there are others that just seem to live what feels like just a a charmed life free from anything that's difficult. I don't know. I don't know why some parents seem to make every single parenting mistake in the book and their kids turn out amazing. (laughs) I mean, like, beyond amazing. And I don't know. I don't know why some parents are so faithful and so loving and they care for their children and their kids become wayward. I don't know. I don't know why some people get cancer. I don't know why some lose their life way too soon. And some of you are thinking at this point, I don't know why they are letting her do this message because she doesn't know anything. And I don't know why either. But Jared goes out of town on weekends when there's messages on healing, okay? I'm just saying. I know that Jesus heals. I just don't always know how he does it. And all week long, all week long, as I was praying and as I was asking God to give me words for today, I kept saying, God, I just, I just want a bow at the end of the message. I just want it to be easy. I just want to be able to say, do one, two, and three, and then you'll get your healing. And I know that that isn't always the case. And I have seen this firsthand in my life. Many of you have seen the space right outside of the doors of this auditorium that we created in honor of an amazing woman that helped start Soul City Church, Jessica Marie Hain. We created that space to be a place for people to go and to, to make requests for healing. And all week long, we have a team of people that prays for healing, that prays for all of you that, that ask for healing in your life. But with Jessica, the prayers that we prayed for her healing were answered differently than any of us had hoped. You know, I remember when Jessica was first diagnosed with cancer And I remember praying with her and her husband, Joe, and and many friends right over in that prayer hall. And we pleaded for healing. And we did it many times. I remember praying on the phone when Joe and Jessica went to Houston for treatment. And I remember 
talking with them and, and praying over the phone that God would continue to, to heal her as she received treatment. I remember moments of rejoicing when we sensed that, that she was getting better and, and that healing seemed to be on the way. And then I remember the moments of despair when a test would come back. And we found that her cancer had returned. I remember watching her loved ones stand in faith and ask God and plead with God for healing. And I remember the day that Joe called me and said, Jeannie, can you come over? Can you come over to the hospital? And Joe and Jessica, all through their journey, all through the battle, kept saying to me, you know, when Jessica's healed, when she receives her final healing, we're gonna get in that baptismal together. We don't know how we're gonna do it, but we're gonna be the first couple to get baptized together in the tank. And Joe said to me on the phone, Jeannie, can you come over here? And can you baptize us today? And I remember walking into that hospital room, seeing a bottle of water, taking the water, just pouring it over my hands. Wiping it over their heads and baptizing them in that moment. And I remember this very clear sense from the Spirit of God just saying to me, Don't leave. This is where you need to be today. It's about four o'clock in the afternoon. And I didn't leave again until 4 a.m. the next day. And at one point, when I walked out of Jessica's room for just a moment, one of her doctors actually came up to me and pulled me aside and said, hey, you know, can you tell me a little bit about how you know Joe and Jess? And I said, oh, yeah, totally. They're, they're dear friends. Um, we actually helped start a church together. And, um, and I'm their pastor. And I'll never forget he walked, kind of like leaned in, in that moment. And he looked me in the eyes and he said, you know what's happening, don't you? And I knew. And tears started streaming from my eyes and down my face and I said, I do, I know what's happening. And he said, well then tonight, reached out his hand. He said, tonight we're going to work together. And I'm going to do what only I can do as a medical doctor. And I'm going to explain that there's no more life in Jessica. And you're going to do what only you can do as their pastor. And you're going to walk with them through this moment. And over the coming hours, we prayed and we sang in that hospital room. And I watched Jessica take her last breath. 
and I watched her transition into the arms of God. And I will never ever forget that night. Everything about that evening is kind of seared onto my heart. And everything about that coming week when we held Jessica's funeral right here in this room, the very first funeral that we've ever had at Soul City Church, and walking with Joe over the last year as he so courageously stepped into his grief journey. I am forever changed because of that experience. And you know, if you've ever been over to that area right outside of our prayer hall, and if you've ever looked at Jessica's picture, you've probably seen Mark 5.34 on her picture. And it's the verse that Jesus said to the woman, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And friends, Jessica was healed. It was not the way we prayed. But she is in peace and she is free from her suffering. She did experience the exchange. Jesus took the ashes of cancer and he brought beauty. He took her struggle and he saved her from it. And there was an exchange. It is not the one that we prayed for. But there was healing. And I'm confident of this. I know that there are some of you in this room here today that need to experience the exchange that Jesus brings. You need to experience the truth that Jesus heals and what he is asking of you today is will you bring your whole truth? Will you just bring your whole truth? Will you just bring yourself? Will you just bring your story? Will you just bring you? Would you be willing to bring your whole truth to Jesus today? Would you be willing to, to reach out to the great physician, the one that is in the ultimate white coat, the healer? Will you let him see your broken heart? Will you let him into the ache of your loss? Will you let him hold that failure that you carry around in secret that just weighs you down? Will you let him have your shame? Will you let him have your guilt? Will you be honest? Will you be honest with him? Will you be honest about that affair? Will you be honest about the abuse? Will you bring your sickness? Will you let him carry the depression? Will you let him hold you in the midst of your parenting fears that seem to plague your heart? You see, not facing our need for healing often blocks us from experiencing healing. Not facing our need for healing is often what blocks us from experiencing healing. And so all I want to ask you today is, will you bring your truth 
to Jesus? Will you bring your truth? That's all he's asking you to do. He's who does the rest. He's who offers the exchange. We're gonna move into a time of worship and I wanna pray for us and I wanna invite you to simply do that, to just bring your whole self. Really easy, right? Just bring your whole self to Jesus. So I'm gonna invite you to stand and we're gonna sing a song that's simply called Healer. And if there was a moment at all over the last few moments where you were touched, where you were compelled, where you yourself feel like you are pleading for the promise of Jesus, would you just hold open your hands to him? Just hold open your hands to him. It's kind of like a, a physical way of saying, I'm gonna bring my whole truth to you today, Jesus. I'm gonna trust that you are gonna do the exchange. So Jesus, we come to you now. And we trust that you tell us that you heal the brokenhearted and that you bind up their wounds, that you take our troubles and you take our fears, you take our failure, you take our heartache, you take our pain and our burden, you take our shame and our guilt, and you are the healer. And you have overcome. And so today we bring you our whole truth and our whole heart. And we pray this in your name. Amen.